So let's begin with that. Welcome everyone. This is Recovery Dharma. My name is Julia. I'm one of the facilitators in the Spokane Sangha. And I'd like to share with you an intention today. One of the one of the things that we do in a Buddhist practice is we never take for granted a moment, small moments, big moments, spectacles, and the spectacular. And so we, cre- we take a moment to look at our motivation, look at our intention for being here today, prioritizing this hour. And then we set an intention as a way of supporting our aspiration for practice and being here. This is a little painting I made. And on the back, the sentiment of metta. Metta is loving kindness. This one reads, May you celebrate many small, magnificent moments. May you celebrate many small, magnificent moments. There's a couple of things I want to I want to share today um, before we launch into the fullness of our practice. The first is that I really this week for whatever reason I've been thinking about the words recovery and dharma, and I was thinking about what makes the Spokane Sangha such a unique place for the recovery dharma practice. So there is a thing called recovery dharma as a spiritual practice to look at habit energy and some of the practices of the dharma, the teachings of the Buddha. There is something unique about the Spokane Sangha, which is me as one of the main facilitators. And my curiosity and interest in the realm of substance use disorder, addiction, and recovery. So many of you may not know, but I am married to a psychiatrist, so I get access to these really wonderful sources of information and education. This is a magazine from the American Journal of Psychiatry, and I want to take a moment to highlight some of the topics in this magazine. Uh, This is all scientific articles. One of them is Converging Evidence for Frontopolar Cortex as a Target for Neuromodulation in Addiction Treatment. I don't have any idea what any of that means. Another article is Mindfulness-Oriented Recovery Enhancement for Veterans and Military Personnel on Long-Term Opioid Therapy for Chronic Pain. Another article is The Long-Term Relationship Between Cannabis and Heroin Use. My friends, the reason why I'm bringing this forward is there are a lot of really smart people trying to understand the science of substance use disorder as it lives and manifests in the brain. 
And why this is important is because we have a narrative about recovery that refers to, um, is focused on your spiritual will, your character, um, you as a person. And I want to bring forward in a contemporary focus of recovery that it is so much more than that. Science is showing us that there are aspects to our brains that govern our habit energy, both in terms of misuse and skillful healing. And I am very happy that I do read these articles, I study them, I go to scientific meetings, and I learn about the contemporary approaches to recovery. The other thing that I bring to our conversation is I'm a long-term Buddhist practitioner. And so the Buddha, the, the Buddhist teachings are a way to live life, to really change your way of being in the world. So with that, I bring the science of recovery with the spirit of Buddhism together in this unique practice called Recovery Dharma. And it is a proud moment to be here with you today. For the month of February, friends, we are exploring sada. Sada means to lead from the heart. And there is a whole sutra, which is a teaching of the Buddha, called the Lotus Sutra. And it is all about sada, living one's life from the heart. Today, I have written something for you um, that I would like to share. And it reviews what I shared yesterday, which is, and what I've been talking about in terms of the Lotus Sutra, which is that we have a physical body, like the Buddha himself. He was a real person like you and like me. The Buddha, what makes him distinct, is that he also cultivated this high awareness of his infinite body, something that we call the Dharma body. Some aspect of you and me that has existed since beginningless time. So we have this physical body that will age, it will become sick, it will die. And we also have a Dharma body that is infinite and divine. It has never not existed. The potentiality of our, pre our presence has existed for eons. And we do not yet possess the science to trace the evolution of ourselves as ourselves and ourselves as far back as, as they can go. Our bodies in this moment are the physical manifestation of evolutionary magic that's been happening for billions of years. And it will continue to happen long after we have been fully enveloped back into the evolving nature of Mother Earth. You may all know this in your minds, but I'm not speaking to your mind. I'm speaking to the heart. And right now to your hearts, maybe even put your hand on your heart, you are here. 
you've carved this time for yourself. You are practicing. You are learning to reframe the habituated mind. You are learning to look deeply at your body, at your thoughts, at your habit energy. Together as a community and as individuals, we are shifting the way we speak to ourselves and to one another. We are putting down toxins that inhibit the experiences of clarity and feeling. We're learning together to sit with discomfort. We're turning down the volume on those inner voices so immature in their attitude and insistence. We are awakening to the wonder and mystery of the world that is also you and me. Friends, we are roughly 50 people here today out of 7 billion people on the planet in this moment, practicing and opening to the miracle and preciousness of life. You may be thinking, yeah, but Julia, if you just knew me, you'd know that my, my flame, my inner flame isn't bright. I'm more like a dumpster fire. I'm no one special. And many of you already know what I would say to that. You know, that might be true. And it's not the whole truth. It's likely part of what you're thinking is a distortion. Yesterday, I mentioned that in the eyes of the divine, in the realm of the Buddha, in the realm of the Buddha body, in terms of infinite consciousness, in the heart of God, whatever you want to call it, you are not a mistake. You may have made terrible mistakes, but you are not a mistake. Your presence here is essential to the heartbeat of life. This is what the Lotus Sutra and the Buddha body, the limitless, infinite Buddha bar body, Dharma body teaches. And you may still have doubts about it, and that is why we practice. This morning, I was editing a manuscript I'm writing. It's called Sate Seva, Reimagining Recovery and Support in 16 Mindfulness Practices. And I'm on chapter nine, editing with a fine-tooth comb. And this chapter is all about nurturance. The way we take care of ourselves is the way we take care of others, is the way we take care of the community, is the way we take care of the earth. And we are intimately connected to all things.
the mind is so quick to get judgmental and to list all the ways we need to feel shame and guilt over the ways we've been harmful. The Buddhist practice and the heart-led practice wastes no time on guilt or shame, feeling ashamed of the ways we may have neglected and abused ourselves. Instead, the Buddhist practice and this heart-led practice says, wait a second, let me work with regret and let me use the energy of regret rather than habitually spinning and swirling on shame and guilt. I can work with regret as an energy to propel me to do something different. It is true that I have, through my actions, put harm into the world. And the truth is, I can learn from that and I can do something different. And it doesn't have to be big. It can be very small and subtle. All we have to do is remember that we are part of this infinite Buddha Dharma body. A consciousness that has existed beyond time, beyond measure. And I'd like to share with you a couple of paragraphs directly from this chapter. And it is a chapter I, or a couple of paragraphs that I wrote trying to illustrate the interconnectedness of this. How a small little thing is a big little thing. A small little thing is a big thing. A big thing could be a little thing. I wrote, I remember watching a video featuring wolves being introduced to Yellowstone National Park. There were many ranchers who were upset about their return because wolves had a history of killing cattle and negatively impacting the ranching bottom line. Never mind ranchers and trophy hunters in the early part of the 20th century killing the wolves to near extinction. The fact that they were able to return is nothing short of miraculous. Still, I have a certain degree of compassion for ranchers trying to carve a living like anyone else, yet I take issue with their inability to see past a narrow focus enough to recognize that the return of the wolves crea- created positive shifts exceeding perceived negatives. The wolves brought balance to the entire ecosystem in Yellowstone in ways that biologists are still trying to understand. Bird species returned, beavers and moose, little streams appeared, Flora and fauna flourished, particularly willow and aspen, whose interconnected relevance wasn't known before. The absence of wolves was a detriment to many living, breathing beings, and their return meant something profoundly equalizing and healing for the whole planet. It cannot be 
overstated. Everything is connected. And one of the greatest follies in the contemporary mind is its belief that humans are the top dog in this connection, that we are more important than anything else despite being the last forms to arrive to this earthy alchemy of life. This falsity and myth have the risk of being globally and irreparably harmful with damage already evidenced by global warming, continued war, and diminishing resources. To reflect on interconnectedness in this way is a humbling invitation to consider how we treat ourselves and our inner landscape of feeling and thought. Those stories cast ripples in the world that have far-reaching positive and negative consequences. The question becomes, what kind of energy do I want to have in the ripples of my life? Friends, we are both so insignificant on a cosmic scale. And we are immeasurably important at the same time. What kind of energy do you want in the ripples of your life. Aspire to that. And when you stumble, and you will, it's just a matter of tapping into your resilience. Get back up. Learn. Try again over and over and over again. That is practice. The Buddha, in physical form, lived only 80 years. The Buddha, in Dharma form, continues and is now alive in each of us here today. That is a miracle. That is amazing. His awakening is yours. And so this is a wonderful way to invite patience and gentleness 
ease. To heal is slow. It's slow going if it is to be sustained. So let's take a couple of quiet moments to simply breathe this in. Breathing in, I heal my body. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I heal my mind. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I heal my heart. Breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in this present moment connected to all of life. I am humbled. Breathing in. Breathing out. to go ahead and end our practice today with a dedication of merit and the book I'd like to share with you today my uh, excuse like whatever the schmutza is there I have no idea just some life schmutza and this is a book called moments of mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh highly recommend this sweet little book and this this particular um uh piece speaks to the idea that you are not a mistake. You are not the mistakes you've made. You are so much more than that. Uh, The purpose of being here is not to be perfect. The purpose of being here is to be here, wholly here. So these are the words of beloved Thich Nhat Hanh. A flower does not, ha- does not have to do anything to be of service. It only has to be a flower. That is enough. A human being, a true human being, is enough to make the whole world 
rejoice. Thank you for practicing and returning to being a true, whole human being. You really do heal the world. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time. Namaste.